Yo, Cornerstone, what's up? How y'all doing? Y'all good? First of all, I just, I mean, really? 115 degrees? Really? Really? I mean, are you kidding me? Really? I mean, Phoenix, what's, I mean, that's how y'all doing it out here, huh? I mean, out here, nobody should go to hell in Chandler. Nobody. You know what I'm saying? Somebody don't know Jesus, you should be able to say, walk outside. Or come back in. They'll be like, I surrender all. Because it's too hot to be going to hell. I'm telling you the truth, man. Uh, I'm so glad to be back, y'all. I honestly feel like uh, I'm back home at Cornerstone Chandler, man. I am so glad to be back here with you guys. And, and I've got a lot of fun things uh, going on. In January of 2012, uh, my wife and I have been called to start a new church in, uh, in Monrovia. So we'll be planting a church in Monrovia, California next year. Um, God, God has given us uh, this vision of a multicultural, intergenerational church that's centered on the gospel, that's all about advancing the kingdom of God, where people come, come together from all walks of life and declare His glory and advance His work. And we are just excited about this call in our lives. Amen? Um, not only that, but so that's January. Also, my wife is pregnant, and I did it. I did it. I did it. Yeah. Yeah, I still got it. I still got it. Oh. Here's the thing, though. Guess when the baby's due? January. Yep. Daddy's got good timing, right? So, so I, just told, I just told my wife, I said, honey, don't worry. We're just doing our job of growing the church. We're going to grow this church one baby at a time, Jack. We're going to do it. We're going to let God get glory. Amen. So just, just as when you think about us, keep us in your prayers. I, I brought a couple of, um, a couple of messages um, that I preached at our church, um, and on here, it, it talks a little bit about, you'll just see it, the name of our new church fellowship and my email address, but I, I got some message, and this is my first time ever doing this, so Cornerstone, this has really got to go well, or else I'm going to be scarred for life. Um, <laughs> I got a couple of sermon series. This first one is called A Journey Through the Book of Psalms, and it's four messages. One of the ones in here in particular that I really like is one that's called Perfect Storm, Perfect Request, Perfect Response. Uh, if you know anybody that's going through a storm in their life, it teaches us how to pray in the midst of that storm and what we should expect from God in the midst of that storm. So it's a real great encouragement to, if you know anybody that's going through, and let me tell you something, if you're sitting in this room, I can guarantee you, you're either coming out of a storm, in a storm, or on your way into a storm. Uh, and the Word of God, especially the book of Psalms, will really help you carry carry you through some psalms. I also got this, this other piece. Uh, it's called Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done. And this is what I call a swift Christian kick in the pants. So get this one at your own risk. It, it comes against our lackadaisicalness and our laziness as, as Christians, and it pulls us up and pushes us to get on God's mission and recognize that our lives are not about our, it's not about ourselves, it's not about our comforts, but it's about 
his mission. So it talks about, Lord, teach us how to pray. I walk through the Lord's prayer, and then it says, Lord, teach us how to go. How do I make sure that I'm about your mission and about your business? So I'm, after the service, I'm going to hang out back there in the back and just love on some people and give some Mississippi hugs um, and just greet some people and come by and pick up some messages and listen to them for yourself or just think of people that may be on your job or maybe going through some difficult times and pass it on as a what I call a kingdom gift. Amen? Amen. Well, I am excited about digging into the Word today. The book of Hebrews is where you can find me, chapter 5. We'll actually begin reading at the end of chapter 4, book of Hebrews chapter 4 and 5. Pastor Lynn asked me if I would continue on in this series that you guys have been in on the book of Hebrews. But here's the deal. Um, Usually when I would come, I'll I'll preach about what I want to preach about. You know, I'll just pick, you know, not what I want the Lord to tell me, and I'll be like, yes, Lord, and then I'll go and I'll preach. I didn't pick this text, so if this doesn't go well, it's not my fault, all right? I ain't do it. I ain't pick this, all right? Uh, but, but I'm excited about what the Lord's going to say. I feel like he's going to speak to us through his word, as he always does. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, we're going to begin reading at verse 12, and then we're going to dig into, uh, no, we're going to, hmm, yeah, verse 12. We'll begin reading at verse 12, and then we'll dig into the chapter 5. Hear these words of our Heavenly Father. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything here, watch this, is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence." so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Since he himself is subject to weakness, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, hear this parallel, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and was once made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated to God by high priest in order of Melchizedek. Uh, We have much to say about this, they said, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, 
not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that in these next few moments that you would tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you. Turn our hearts toward you that we may see all that you have for us in this passage today. We pray that we would leave this place not the same, but eternally transformed by the power of your word. God, it's to that end that I pray that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things that you would have me say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Have your way in this place today. In Jesus' name, every heart said amen. 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 Uh, there's a story of a little boy who's sitting in the classroom, and as he sits in the classroom, he... Um, this is a day where he's just not getting it. He, he's not listening, he's not being obedient, and he's just all jittery and fumbling around. He's just all over the place. And the teacher looks at him and says, Johnny, sit down. Johnny, sit down. But Johnny just kept playing around. He was dancing, doing the Dougie, you know, uh, just doing, he just, he just would not sit down. So he said, Johnny, sit down. Johnny kept on playing, and finally the teacher got upset. She said, Johnny, if you don't sit down, you're not going to recess, and I'm going to send you to the principal's office. Johnny... <laughs> sat down, stuck his lips out, crossed his legs, and with a frown on his face, he looked at his teacher, and he murmured, he says, on the outside, I'm sitting down, but on the inside, I'm still standing up. <laughs> That's the idea of what's happening in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the author of Hebrews is writing uh, to, to a group of people, primarily uh, Jewish Christians, who are struggling to sit down in the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're, they're, they're still standing up in some of their old ways, some of their old habits, some of their old cultures, and they're struggling to fully embrace all that God has for them. So although they say, yeah, we're, we're trusting God, although we're, we're resting in God, but there's still some areas in their life where they're still standing up. There, there's still some things in their life that's, that's causing them to struggle. They're still having a heart, and they're really on the fence. And the author of Hebrews is calling them out really with this sense of urgency, saying, if you don't get this, you're going to miss the whole package. If you continue to stand in places where you really need to be resting in God, you're going to miss the whole package. And then in chapter 5, he begins to unpack this, the, the, the beauty of having this high priest in Jesus Christ. He begins to talk about what does it mean to have this high priest, and he begins to paint a picture of what it means to follow the high priest of Jesus Christ. Uh, my prayer is that as we leave today and go back out in the 118-degree weather, um, is that we'll go out uh, with a better picture of what it means to have a high priest who is Jesus Christ. And what does it mean for us to fully, to be fully devoted followers of this great high priest that we find in Jesus Christ? Um, in order for us to understand the picture of this high priest, we must hit rewind and go back to the end of chapter 4, because the end of chapter 4 sets up the beauty of what it means to have this high priest. Uh, chapter 4, it, it, it talks about, after talking about this rest that Ron talked about last week, it then goes into it and it says, therefore, if you really want to experience that, he begins to talk, and it almost seems as if he changes the subject, but he really unpacks what it means to, fu to fully rest in God. He says, he says, 
he changes the subject and he begins to talk about the Word of God. And he says the Word of God is active. Uh, it's quick. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And that Word of God, it's cutting. It's cutting asunder. It's distinguishing between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow. It's slicing and, it, and it's laying bare. It's, it's the idea of laying open, laying bare in a vulnerable place, laying bare all that is there so that all can be fully exposed. He talks about what the Word of God does and how it, it really, uh, this is the Mississippi uh, catfish terminology, it fillets you. Uh, 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 back in Mississippi, you don't eat catfish with bones. It's just not a good look because, you know, I've seen too many kids crying around a house with bones stuck in their throat. Um, so so, so, so you, you, you fillet it, you, you cut it open, and then you pull out the bones, but in, in, and it just kind of lays bare. He says that's what the Word of God does. It fillets us. It cuts us open and it lays us bare and it exposes everything that is within, everything that, that is hidden, everything that is tucked away in your life. It exposes it so there is no hiding place. See, because he knows the nature of humanity and how we do. We'll hide stuff. We'll keep stuff under wraps. We'll keep stuff disclosed because we don't, uh, undisclosed because we don't want to expose all that is there. I'm talking about the stuff that we don't bring up in small group circles. I'm talking about the stuff that shh, we don't want anybody to know because if they really found out that I really struggled with this, or if they really found out that I really failed at that, if they really found out that I was really insecure about that, then they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't respect me. They wouldn't trust me. So I hide away. And the Bible says that the Word of God cuts through all of that, and it exposes all that you are to the Creator and the Maker of this world. It takes all of the hidden places, all of the hidden things, and it exposes all that you are to this great and mighty God. And there, as you're exposed, it says that this great God, it judges what it finds. Now, immediately, if you're anything like me, I know the stuff that I got tucked away. I know the struggles that I have in my life, and I know what my failures are. I know what my stains of guilt and sin and shame are. And the idea of them being exposed and then for someone to come and judge them, I immediately cringe in my soul. I immediately cringe, and I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop as I'm waiting to be destroyed, waiting to be damned by this God. And he says, watch this. He says, but come boldly to the throne of grace. He says, lift up your head, my daughter, my son, lift up your head and come boldly. And then we begin to understand something about this high priest that's unlike anything we've ever seen before because this high priest, he understands. He understands what it's like to have struggles and to, and to have places in your life where, where you struggle and he understands what it's like to suffer. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace because we don't have this high priest that doesn't empathize, that, that can't feel the pain and the suffering and the struggles that we feel. We don't have a high priest that, that, that's disconnected from that. He says, I understand your struggle. I understand your suffering, so no, I'm not going to damn you and destroy you. I'm going to lift up your head and I'm going to say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Bring your burdens to me. He says, come unto me. Because he knows how we are and we'll live life in isolation and we'll rehearse this line and we'll say, nobody understands what it's like to struggle like I struggle. And I know everyone else has moved on, but I was divorced just two years ago, and it's still fresh to me, and he's moved on, and, and everybody at the church has moved on, and everyone is looking at me, and they think I've moved on, but I'm still crying myself to sleep at night, but I won't shh, tell anybody because nobody understands. 
No one understands what it's like to live with these insecurities and always second-guessing yourself. And although people always say, oh, you're so great, you're so nice, you're doing such a great job with the kids, you're doing such a great... And people applaud all the time, but they don't realize the insecurities. And before, shh, I say anything, I'll just be quiet because they don't understand what it's like. Ever felt like you were alone? Ever felt like, although there are hundreds of people around, I'm living life in isolation because nobody really understands what it's like to struggle with the things that I'm struggling with. This great high priest says, but I understand. And that's why I want you to come to me. And I don't want you to come with a bow down head. I don't want you to come down, come with guilt and shame. I want you to come boldly to the throne of grace. But ah, don't come empty handed. Come with your junk. Come with your mess. Come with your failures. Come with all of those things because just like the word of God has laid you bare, I know what it's like to be laid bare. Because on the cross, I was laid bare, and all was exposed, and I was beaten and crucified. So I know what it's like to suffer, but I also know what it's like to win in victory. Because on that cross, they put me in the grave, but three days later, I rose again with all power in my hands. And it is with that power that I beckon you to come and give me your burdens, and I will give you the mercy of God. I will give you the grace of God because I understand what it's like to suffer. So he says, come, my brother, my sister, I know you're here. You came this morning and you feel like I'm living in isolation and nobody knows what it's like to struggle and, and, and nobody understands me, but I'm telling you this morning, we have a high priest who understands your struggle. He understands your suffering and he says, come unto me. Give me your burdens, and you take mine, because my yoke is easy, and my burdens are light. Are you heavy this morning? If you are, he says, come, but don't you come empty-handed. Bring your weaknesses, because our high priest understands. Uh, not only does he understand, but chapter 5 comes in, and chapter 5 begins to talk about the very essence of what the book of Hebrews is about. If we had to sum this series up in one phrase, it's simply, Jesus Christ is better. Uh, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince them that Jesus Christ is better. Stop, stop, stop being so tempted by your old ways, your old systems, your old way of doing things. Jesus Christ is better. In chapter 1, he's telling them, Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Come here, Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. And in chapter 5, he's saying, Aaron, the great high priest, Jesus Christ is better than Aaron, the great high priest. He's trying to convince these, these Jewish Christians who, who are so vested into this system that could never, ever satisfy them. Get, get that. That's so important. They, they, they were so vested in the system of the law. But see, the law, it, it failed to display the full picture of God's grace. Because while the law only could reveal our failures, the law could only show us where we missed the mark, but the law could not produce godly people. The law could not produce godliness. So there was this disconnect. And they kept investing in this old way of doing things. And they kept saying, well, if I just do more, if I just do better, if I just do everything right, then I'll get it, but that's not it. Because God is not looking for performers. He's looking for followers. He's not looking for someone to dance with him. He's looking for someone that will be with him. 
but they were so invested in just doing it and getting everything right that they were on the verge of missing the beauty of the greatness of God. So he's hammering away saying, Jesus Christ is better. And this system that you're committed to, it'll give you great performance, but it will never give you great relationship. Um, I remember um, I, am, um, I am a student at Fuller Seminary. However, there are some professors that will take issue with my usage of the word student. Um, I, I'm not the best dude in class. I'm the type of dude that'll look at the syllabus a couple of times a year, you know what I mean? I'm the guy that'll walk in the classroom and everybody on their desk will have papers. And I'll be like, we, we got a paper due today? I'll be right back, I'll be right back, you know? I, I'm that guy. So I'll never forget in the ethics class, um, uh, Dr. Glenn Stassen, uh, I see on the syllabus that we got a paper due next week. And I was excited. I was like, we got a paper due, and I know about it. <laughs> and I'm going to do it, right? So I get the paper done, and y'all, this never happened. I got the paper done early. So I walked in, y'all. I walked in, turned my paper in. I was arrogant. I was like, here you go, doc. You ain't even got to read it. Let's put an A on that thing. All right, I'm out. You know, I just... It's arrogant, you know, so I threw it in, you know, a couple of weeks later, he's passing out the papers and we're sitting in class and, you know, paper come back and uh, I get the paper back, you know, and I just, I'm just knowing I killed it, you know, so I didn't even look at my paper. I'm looking at other folks. I hope y'all did all right. Because <laughs> uh, I messed the curve up. It was, it was a curve. I just, I had a deep circle on this thing. I messed, the, I messed the curve up, you know. So I finally, I was like, all right, let me leave y'all alone. Let me look at what, what blessings the Lord has given me, you know, so... I look at it, and on the first page, my professor, he wrote, great content. I was like, I know. <laughs> so, you know, in seminary, they don't put the grade on the front page. They put it on the last page. So, you know, you got all the comments, great content. I'm flipping through, you know, little markings and stuff. I get to the last page. At the top of the page, in a big circle, it has a big red F. And at the bottom, it says, wrong assignment. <laughs> Author of Hebrews is warning the Jewish community saying, you run the risk of having great moral content in your life, but standing before God and hearing him say, depart from me, wrong assignment. Because you can commit to doing everything right in your life, but still miss the one that is greater. Anybody tied to your old ways? Anybody tied to your own way of doing things? And you still fail to realize that God is better? Jesus Christ, the great high priest, is better? And I know, listen, let me tell you, I know you'll never say it with your lips. So, 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 so don't give me, I know you'll never say, God isn't better, I'm better. You'll never say it with your lips, but with your life, your life will scream it in areas. You, you never say, God isn't better with your lips, but with your life, you'll say, God, you, with your lips, you'll say, God is better, but with your life, you'll say, I'm better because I'm controlling it. I'm better because I'm doing it. I'm better because I chose this relationship. I'm choosing how I live. I'm, I'm the one controlling my life. So although with my, my lips, I say God is better, but with every decision I make, with everything I do in my life, my life is screaming, I'm better. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing because we keep choosing to do things that are outside of God's will. We find ourselves stuck in this cycle of continuously committing to the old way of how we used to live. There's an old song that we used to sing in black church in Mississippi when I grew up. It says, 
Can't nobody do me like Jesus. He's my friend. Second verse says, heal my body. And he told me to run on. He's my friend. Third verse says, third verse says, picked me up and he told me to run on. He's my friend. Idea is that you can search the world all over and you will find time and time again that can't nobody do you like Jesus. I'll never forget being a teenager, tried everything, tried smoking weed, tried sex, tried being the life of the party, flunked out of high school, had all types of things, trying to do things my own way. But I never forget on January 23rd, 1994, at Sunday night service at Sweet Rest Church of Christ in Pearl, Mississippi, I realized that can't nobody do me like Jesus can, and I gave my life to him. Can't nobody. You can search the world over. You can try to find it in friends. You can try to find it in relationships. You can try to find it in money. You can try to find it in control, but can't nobody do you like Jesus. It's bad English, but it's great theology. The writer of Hebrews is telling them Jesus Christ, the high priest, is better. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the prophet. And he's better than you in anything you can do for yourself in your life. And I'm here to tell you in Chandler, Arizona, Jesus Christ is better. But what are the areas in your life where you keep choosing less than? Some of you in your relationships, you keep choosing less than. In your decisions, you keep choosing less. Listen, we have a great high priest who understands, and we have a great high priest who is better. Finally, the author of Hebrews is trying to get them to understand that, that Jesus Christ is a, is a different kind of high priest. He's the high priest un, out of the order of Melchizedek and how, and they'll unpack that more in chapter 7, but it's almost as if before he goes into that and try to get them to fully understand the greatness of Jesus Christ being better, he stops himself mid-sentence. He says, I can't even go on because most of you, you've, you've stopped trying to understand. You're not even trying to understand anymore. Your, your ears have become dull and you should be teaching people by now. You should be more mature by now, but not, instead of being on solid food, you're on milk. You're an infant. You're a baby, you're your own milk. Implication, your life isn't producing any fruit of righteousness. You're still struggling over elementary things. You're still trying to figure out of whether you want to sit down or whether you want to stand up. And before we go any further, you need to understand that this great high priest is one who wants more. He's not satisfied with your bleak, lackadaisical Christian pursuit. He wants more because you don't realize if you stay this way and if you stay on milk, you run the risk of spiritual death. I was talking to this top attorney in California, and he is a family lawyer, and his primary focus is on families that are going through divorce. And I asked one of those uh, preacher questions, uh, thinking that I knew the answer to the question, uh, and I was just trying to get a, you know, a good sermon illustration out the deal. Um, I said, what's the number one cause for divorce? Because in my mind, I know it's adultery, and I wanted him to confirm it so that, that way the next time I go to a men's conference, I can preach it up, you know what I mean? But he shocked me. He says, Albert, from my years of experience, specifically the last 15 years, 
Notice that the number one reason why people come in my office and say, I want a divorce, um, is simply um, that they'll say to me, Albert, uh, they'll say, we just, we just drifted apart. We've just drifted apart from one another. That answer grabbed me. It it, it almost scared me because the idea of them just drifting, like adultery, it requires an action. Like that's clear. That's it's it's a black and white deal. It's it's it's, you know. But he he says he says people are sitting in their office and 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 it's not some hardcore. It's not one day he did this. It's the idea of we we just drifted apart. We've slowly floated away from each other, and over time. Instead of living in the crisp, bright light of our love for one another, we now live in this gray fog. And I don't know when it happened. It didn't happen on a certain day or a certain year. But over time, we've just drifted away from each other and woke up one morning and realized, I don't love you anymore. I don't even know who you are or where you are anymore. And we've just drifted away. And that bothered me because I'd rather, I'd rather the marriage be good or really bad. This gray area is scary because it's so easy to live there and not even know it. The writer of Hebrews says, the problem with you is that you drifted away. You're still on milk, but you don't even realize it. You should be more mature by now. You should be teaching other people, but your ears have become dull. You haven't lost your hearing completely but it's dull. And the scary part about living in this gray, foggy area is that you can learn to live there and be good at it. Some of us, we've learned to live in the spiritual gray. And he says, you know, you know when you're living in the spiritual gray, when, when your ability to make decisions on good and evil things has been distorted. Although you may know the right thing to do, but you keep choosing the wrong thing. And time after time, you keep living in this gray area where you used, to, you used to be passionate about your word. You used to be passionate about your worship, but now you've become cynical and pessimistic. You used to have hope, but now all you have is criticism. You, you used to be convicted. You would, you would struggle with that, and you would, you would see your sin, and you would repent, and you'd even go back and apologize. But now you've lost your tears. You used to cry. I remember you used to get on your knees and cry before me. Now you don't even care. You've lost your tears. There's no conviction. You live in this spiritual gray area. And he's telling them, this high priest wants more. You don't have to stay like this. And if you stay like this, you run the risk of death. Anybody living in the gray today? Are you sitting here going through the religious exercise because you know coming to church is the right thing to do? Living in the gray is a very dangerous place because you can live off of milk for so long and then eventually you begin to decay and ultimately you die and you may not even notice that it's happening. We have a high priest who understands our struggle. He's better for us, and he wants more from us because we don't have to stay in the gray. 
God has a plan for our life. Let me, let me just stop right here. Would you, would you pause with me for a moment and just close your eyes and bow your heads? Let me, let me just stop right here. All over the room, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're sitting in this room today and you, you say, Albert, there, I've been rehearsing this line in my head that nobody understands, and I've been struggling with some things. I've been thinking that nobody understands. But today, hearing that we have this great high priest that understands, I want to come to him. But Albert, I don't, I don't want to just come empty-handed. I want to come with my weaknesses, with my places of brokenness. I want to bring my burdens. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. Albert, my burdens are heavy. And I need a God who understands the place of my heaviness. I'm telling you today, friends, we have a high priest who understands. And if you want to bring your weaknesses to him, I want to pray for you. Would you just do me a favor? If that's you in this room, would you just stand up right where you are? Would you just stand up right where you are? Albert, I need a God who understands. And I need a place to bring my weaknesses. If that's you all over this room, would you just stand? If that's you, if that's you, if that's you. If you say, Albert, that's me. That's my test. That's where I am today. <sighs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't, don't you think twice about who's looking or what people are going to say. Don't you think, don't you give it a second thought. If that's you, I need a God who understands. And I'm willing to come with my weaknesses in hand. We have a high priest who's better. If in your life you've been saying with your lips, God is better, but in your life you've been saying, I'm committed to my old ways. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it my own way. And if that's you, I'm not talking about some general thing, but if there's some specific areas in relationships or in money, I don't care where it is, but you've been living your life outside of God's best for you. And you know that what God has is better than what you've been pursuing. If, you want, if you're willing to say today, God is better, and I want to trust the one who's better. I want to walk away from my old ways. And I'm talking about some specific things. If there's some specific areas where you know you've been holding on to your old ways, and today you want to say, the great high priest is better, and I want to trust him. I want to take these two areas of my life, what my lip says and what my life says, and I want to bring the two together. And I want my life to be shaped by my lips. I want my profession of faith to change how I live. No longer lip service, but life service. If that's you, would you just stand up right where you are? Just stand up right where you are. Stand up right where you are. Some areas where God, is, God has got to be better than this. His way is better. His way is better. If that's you, just stand. Just stand. Finally, if you're in this room and you say, Albert, when you talk about living in the spiritual gray area, that's me. Because when I open my spiritual eyes, all I see is gray. And I'm losing my ability to make right decisions, and I'm living in the fog, and the scary thing, Albert, is I'm getting used to it. I'm getting so comfortable here. Because there's no accountability here. There's no guilt. There's no shame. I'm, I'm growing cold and calloused in my spiritual life. Because I've been on milk for so long, and Albert, if I was to tell you the truth, I should be teaching by now. I should be so further ahead. But I'm still struggling over elementary things. 
But today I want to give up the milk. I want to give up the gray. I want to trust God with every area of my life in pursuit of more because I don't have to stay like this because I have a high priest who desires more of me. If that's you and if you want to leave the spiritual gray today, would you just stand up right where you are? Just stand up right where you are. I want to leave the spiritual gray areas in my life. I've got some spiritual gray, and I want to leave that place today. If you're wrestling in this room, don't you wrestle another second. Don't you wrestle with God. He's too big for you. He's too big for you. Don't sit there and wrestle and negotiate with God. Surrender to him. Say yes to him. Father, I thank you so much for every brother and sister that's standing all over this room. I pray that in the power of your resurrection, that we will come to know and see you as the great high priest, one who understands our struggle, one who understands our suffering, and, to, to, and one to whom we can bring our weaknesses and there receive mercy in this divine exchange. Today, God, we come to you, but we don't come empty-handed. We come with our weaknesses. We come with our broken places. And we surrender to you here in this place where we receive mercy and grace from the great high priest who understands. God, I pray that in this room today, you would help us to walk away from our old ways, our old systems, our ways of comfort, and we'll trust you, the great high priest, who is better. Can't nobody do us like you can. So we surrender to the one who's greater than all. And we trust you with every area of our life because you are better. And finally, God, we leave the milk, we leave this gray fog, and we passionately pursue your divine plan, your divine will for our life. May it be said of us that we were mature because we feasted on the solid foods of God and not complacent in this gray spiritual reality of milk. God, I pray, today we'll never be the same, but eternally changed by the great high priest who understands, who is better, and who wants more. In Jesus' name, amen.